Welcome to Miss Radio, folks. This is your host, Gabe Sanders. Thanks for tuning in. You're about to hear the first in a series of episodes about affordable housing and homelessness here on the Monterey Peninsula. This was an idea brought to me by a colleague named Angelo Gonzalez. He's also a Miss Radio contributor. And we are both students at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies, where we study policy. We're trying to get perspective on the policies for making housing more affordable in Monterey, for providing services to the homeless population, and trying to address the root problems, not just the symptoms. So we're talking to local elected leaders and local leaders who hope to be elected. And we're starting with Tyler Williamson, a candidate who's running for city council this November, less than a month away. It's never been more important to make an informed vote And that's what we're trying to do with these interviews, present you with what candidates will actually do for the city of Monterey if they are elected. You're about to hear from Tyler. You'll also hear from Maddox Haberdasher, Bill McCrone, and Ed Smith. All right, without further ado, here's the first interview with Tyler Williamson. Please enjoy. Cool. All right, so today is October 4th, just about a month away. No, no jitters, no not butterflies. Of course all. not. <laughs> Here with uh, candidate for Monterey City Council, Tyler Williamson, to talk about affordable housing and, of course, homelessness. We're going to get right into it. Tyler, you were homeless. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me about that experience and how it's affected your approach to policy today? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't expecting it. I was living with some roommates in... Uh, San Diego and we ended up getting evicted from from our apartment and my roommates were able to move back in with their family that lived there locally um, but I didn't have any uh, you know immediate family that that lived in San Diego and so I ended up spending some time sleeping in my car or trying to find a friend's house to uh, couch surf on and um, yeah it, I mean it, obviously it wasn't tough when when you don't have a place to go to at the end of the day, rest your bags down, go to the restroom, kick your feet up and watch TV. You don't have that space to do that. You, you're you kind of like in a survival mode. Um, you're trying to figure out where you're going to get your next meal from, um, where are you going re- to rest your head at night. So it wasn't an easy experience. Luckily, I was working um, and so I was able to save up enough to make first month's rent and uh, a deposit um, about a month and a half into the experience to get wow. uh, a studio for myself. So um, I was able to figure things out pretty quickly, but nonetheless, it was a, it was a difficult experience. <laughs> I can imagine. What happened to your roommates? I mean, we're still friends, um, but the, yeah, they were able to go back home and live with... So one of them, um, her father lived in, lives in San Diego, so she was able to move with him, and the other roommate, they shared a room in our apartment, and... Um, it was her cousin, so he was able to go back and live with, stay with her okay. as well. So, were you the only one then that kind of had nowhere yeah. to go? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. How old were you at the time? It was like ten years ago, like, something. I was like twenty-three. Wow. Somewhere around there, something like that. I can't imagine what I would have done at the age of twenty-three. I was living in, uh, like, I think I was living at home at that time. Yeah, I was lucky to have that option for and sure. So, when you think about people who are experiencing chronic homelessness. Uh, you had the you had a job already. You mm-hmm. didn't have to go find one. Mm-hmm. 
Because a lot of people, I hear people say, God, why can't homeless people just go find a job? What are the obstacles to that, as far as you know? What makes it difficult being homeless to find work? Well, there's definitely the stigma that's associated with um, you being homeless. And um, that's why a lot of folks, you know, try to make it seem like they're not homeless. Um, especially if they're, if they don't have severe uh, mental disabilities that prevent them from making it somewhat more apparent, apparently obvious um, to the public. Um, uh, but it, what, off, what also makes it difficult is um, maybe you smell a little bit because mm -hmm. you haven't been able to take a shower um, as frequently as um, you'd like. Um, and so there might be signs that people pick up on and, and even, if you, um, even if you are able to try to catch a shower, um, you know, maybe more frequently than some folks might think homeless take a shower, it's still on the back of your mind, like what are people thinking of? Right. So that part it just kind of makes it um, debilitating and, and difficult. Um, and again, you're spending your day literally trying to figure out how to survive, never mind trying to get yourself out of that situation. Um, so, I mean, I was lucky to have a job. Um, I think it's just part of my personality too, where, you know, I'm, I, I am super motivated to, you know, get to that next space in my life. Um, but not everybody's there. And again, depending upon um, the things that contribute to them, causing them to get homeless in the first place, um, it, 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 they all could add up to make it difficult for right. somebody. So, When, during those six weeks or so, which public services, if any, were you able to avail yourself of that were available to homeless people? Yeah, I didn't use any. Again, and part of it, you know, I didn't even think that that was an option for myself because I think part of it is that, again, I think it's just more of that acceptance of the fact that yeah. that's a reality for yourself. You don't want it to. Where at the time, I didn't need, I didn't even really communicate to friends about it. You know, it was just kind of more of a hush-hush type of thing. And even when I would try to ask them to spend the night at their house, um, it just it had this more temporary feel to it. So it didn't make it seem like I was really homeless. But the fact of the matter is when I look back on it, I, I was without a home. So. <laughs> wow. so when you're in that situation, and I want you to think kind of, if you can, about here in Monterey, if you were in that situation here, would, do you think you would be able to, once you've accepted homelessness, and if, let's say you didn't have a job, would, where would you look here if you were homeless for resources, for a roof over your head, even for a night, for food, for a shower? Yeah. Where would you look? Um, I mean, because I am pretty involved in the community and I've met some pretty awesome people that are dedicated to um, ensuring that we take care of people here locally, um, I, I know of various different organizations that offer services. Um, community Homeless Solutions is an example of one. Um, uh, also in Salinas, they, ha they have Chinatown and they're building... Um, transitional housing for the homeless community there. So um, there are services provided in there that are available. Even if you go to something as simple as walking into like the housing department in any city on the peninsula, they can direct you to the right location. Okay. So there's a lot of folks that have the information, um, but again, there's that, that stigma that's associated with it. Um, and maybe not to go too in depth about kind of like the policy wonky sure. side of it, but after the forum that we had at Miss mm -hmm. um, this past week, a gentleman came up to me afterwards and was sharing with me a program that they did in Utah 
um, that basically got rid of like something like 75% of the, um, the, the reoccurring homelessness that right. was occurring in, in, in that town. And they came up with a housing first policy where it's different to how traditional communities handle homelessness, which is we'll put you in transitional housing. And then um, if you participate in services that we tell you you need, um, then we can help you maybe try to find a way to transition mm -hmm. into permanent housing. What they did in Utah is they said, no, you deserve a housing because you're a human being. Um, and once we get you into that housing, we'll say, hey, here are some services that we're providing that are, you're, that are available to you. Feel free to choose how you will. Um, and people tend to take advantage of those because they can figure out for themselves what works best yeah, for them. They're not being forced. That's into. right. And the most interesting thing about it, which is almost a no-brainer, I think, for people that might spend a lot of time on homelessness issues, is that it actually is more cost-effective because uh, you're not having to deal with the reoccurring rate of people right. going back into homelessness. So, so I, I did a case study recently in a class I'm taking called Leadership Across Borders, and it was about this homeless shelter that had existed in Boston for about the last 40 or 50 years. And they were transitioning from a model of just providing shelter, providing food, hot coffee. That's what they started with in the 60s to the late 90s, early 2000s, trying to provide transitional housing along with services. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the challenges they faced though were with staff, uh, with the people providing the service. And it was mo more about their mentality they thought they were providing a specific service, no questions asked. But then once they started transitioning to this sort of, um, the housing aspect of it, uh, they felt like they were forcing people out of a situation. They felt like they were imposing something on them. So what you're talking about with this program in Utah, it sounds pretty similar. It sounds like they're not imposing anything. That's right. Uh, it sounds like they're acknowledging the humanity of these people. Absolutely. What, what sort of do you, do you think we could accomplish something similar to that in Monterey? I mean, we've got the Foro redevelopment. I remember one of the other candidates mentioned he wanted to uh, use that space, or at least some of it. You don't need all of it. Certainly right. don't. It's a massive amount of space. That's right. You could have a desalination plant, and affordable housing, and free housing for homeless people. Yeah. What do you think would be the first? You know, I heard a lot about triage, the first thing to do hmm. for the homeless population here. I mean, I, I, I think fundamental to everything that I do and think about in regards to, to politics is making sure that we're including the community. And, and I'm trying not to sound a little, I'm trying to avoid sounding cliche That's here, okay. but, no um, you know, I, I, I think it's just so critically important because People just want to, at the end of the day, even if the policy doesn't go in the direction that they want, they want to feel that they were heard and that yeah. at least their ideas were considered. Um, and that's just not happening right now. So I think that's like, you know, a first step. But um, just in regards to policy, my own personal belief as far as homelessness is that uh, we need to develop a, a homeless shelter on the peninsula. I think that's just like a no brainer. Um, we, the city of Monterey just declared itself as um, in a homelessness crisis. So we don't have a shelter currently? That's correct. Wow. Yeah. Anywhere on the peninsula? I mean, there are some, um, there are some shelters. I know that there's some for use with community 
human services that they for they, youths. Though. That's right. Okay. That's right. So um, there's there's nothing. There's literally nothing. So that's a big space to be filled. Okay. Totally. Totally. And that's something I didn't hear that come up at the the candidate. Group, yeah, actually, I was. Exists. Yeah, it was interesting. That's not your how, fault. There's a lot. No, no, on, for sure. But, well, it was interesting how homelessness wasn't more of a conversation right. I thought it was going to be. And I was ready for it, I mean, but it didn't. Maddox made a point of touching on that every opportunity he got. And I really admired his his passion and his dedication to ending homelessness here for on sure. the peninsula. Not only for veterans, but just in general. Totally. Whether he's elected or not. Yep. And it sounds to me like that's something you would commit to regardless of your Absolutely. position also. Absolutely. In whatever way possible. Um, this idea of creating a shelter... Would that include transitional kind of services being offered, do you think? Would you like to see a way, not just through homelessness, but out of it for these people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I obviously need to do a little bit more research myself on the well, we all do. on the case study in regards to what they're doing in U- what they have done in Utah. Um, but when it's been proven to be an example that um, has worked there and other cities have implemented it and it works there as well, I think it would definitely be something worth us looking at before we move too far into the process because sure. I would hate to invest in something that um, doesn't really fix the problem. Um, uh, if, if we could invest in something now that kind of helps us really get these people out of the situation. Yeah, get them off the streets. Absolutely. Treat them like humans finally. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Not just, oh gosh. Yeah, treat them like humans. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as investment goes, I'll transition a little bit. Uh, I heard some talk on Monday night from some of the candidates about augmenting revenue streams. Uh, kind of, it sounded a little detached to me from actually accomplishing policy goals. Sure. Augmenting revenue, of course, is beneficial to any policy goals. But do you think that to create affordable housing, to expand the housing supply, period, do we need more revenue or do we just need to reallocate or get a better, more community conscious budget? Where where do you stand on expanding revenue or just working with what we've got? I would say both, right? I I mean, it's, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about um, reallocating funds, you're basically having to get rid of a program or dramatically reduce the funds that allow a, a program to run. Um, and you're going to be affecting people's lives. Um, and I feel like the city does a pretty good job of providing services for the community. Um, but I definitely think that there can be a certain level of reallocation um, to give focus towards a long-term strategy versus short-term benefits. Um, but, but I also think it would be beneficial to, to create ways of additional revenue so that way we don't have to affect the current services um, too much. Because, uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, these are the things that people want. Our library, um, uh, the sports center, um, you know, there, there are currently functioning housing programs. Um, but again, I think in those avenues, right, the current programs, we might be able to reallocate resources so that way yeah. we're, we're, we're solving the problem fundamentally rather than just putting a patch on something for now. Yeah, and you also mentioned... Uh, looking at the inefficiencies that currently exist in the system. And it seems one of your sort of highlight policy ideas has to do with this 
square feet versus units as far as per sure, sure. costs go. Yeah, yeah. So with that in mind, I don't need you to go into much detail aside from clarifying it and making sure I didn't misunderstand <laughs> it because I know Monday night every, everybody enjoyed that moment. Um, <laughs> but with that in mind, where would you look uh, in Monterey? Where would you look? Whom would you talk to? Obviously, you're trying to incorporate community voices into everything you do, and I think that's exactly what any public leader should do. Mm. But whom would you speak with? Where would you look when this effort for more affordable housing really begins in earnest if you're elected? As far as like subject matter experts, you're saying? Or yeah, just I mean, in general? Or? What land would you look at and say that? that looks like it could be affordable housing or sure. which, which buildings in Monterey could be taller. Totally. Obviously with all the NIMBY, not in my backyard kind of Monterey culture yeah. ideas in mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, some of this has already been happening, um, already building coalitions of different organizations and, um, and individuals. So uh, Monterey Bay Economic Partnership, where those recommendations come from, MBEP, um, they are a key asset in being able to get get us to think about tangible things that we can do. Um, as far as finding land, there are developers chomping at the bit, ready to go with development. And so I believe it's October 9th is the next planning commission meeting. And there will be an agenda item on that I actually encourage folks to come out and share their voice. Um, but there's a developer that's looking at rezoning a portion of Garden Road, um, which is this street that's next to, kind of takes you to the airport. Um, that's all commercial right now. They're looking at trying to get that rezoned to have it be mixed use so that we can put potentially up to about 400 units over there. 400 Which units. if we go to our re, uh, RENA goals, the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, which I won't go into what that exactly means right <laughs> now, okay. but... Um, our RENA goal um, from 2013 to 2023 in Monterey is 650 units. Right now, we're currently at 100 and I think I want to say like something 120. So we're nowhere near where we need to be. We're not keeping pace with where we need to be for meeting that goal. If we're able to develop 400, which we may not even be able to get there, but just kind of speaking idealistically here for a second, if we were able to get that rezone to get 400 units on Garden Road, we're talking about two thirds of our goal right there with that one project. Yeah. So um, October 9th, planning commission meeting, uh, Tuesday, October 9th. I'm pretty sure it's October 9th. It's next Tuesday for sure. Absolutely okay. certain it's next Tuesday. Cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to get this published. I appreciate that. <laughs> Shouldn't be too, too much of a problem. I, I'm not going to edit any of this out. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. So... If there's any other sort of policy issues you'd like to touch on as far as housing goes, by all means. But I also want to know, like, what questions are you asking yourself these days as you're, you know, whether it's about your campaign or about your plans for the future or just things that occur to you on a daily basis at work or when you talk to people who live here in Monterey, what questions are you asking yourself? What questions do I not ask myself should be the question. I mean, fair enough. honestly, I... Um... You know, this is my first time ever running for political office, and I think what I have seen to be one of my strengths in this experience is accepting the fact that I don't know everything, um, which is kind of difficult when you're running for elected office because you almost have to appear like you do know everything. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's about being open-minded and, and listening to those around you. I think 
in a lot of ways, that's just what people want. They want to be heard. Um, and not just making them feel like they're heard, but also using that information to be able to drive the decisions that are going to be made using moving forward. Um, so, you know, I, I think just simple questions that I ask myself, are, are you doing the right thing? Um, are you forgetting somebody? Are you forgetting a certain group of the population? Um, how can you do this better? Uh, are you using your time to, to, to be yeah. the most efficient? Um, and I guess just more specifically in regards to the housing, um, I mean, those same questions apply, but, um, you know, I think a big question that we have to solve on the peninsula in regards to housing is, do we want to help with um, developing more housing um, further away, or do we want to do it within the city on the peninsula? Mm. Um, which, to me, I don't think is... To me, it's not that big of a deal. I said that lightly, um, one way or another. Um, whether it's local whether it's or quote, whether yeah. it's a little further. Because if we're, if, if we're so adamant about keeping Monterey small and quaint, if that's what the community wants, then we damn near should be making sure that we're helping with the development somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to develop further away, we need to make sure that we're developing a solid transportation infrastructure Absolutely, first, right? Yeah. Because we're just going to be adding to the traffic congestion, which is something that everybody's complaining about anyways. So, you know, let's, let's be efficient. I don't know how else to, yeah. to say that. Let's make things easier. Let's make all of our lives better. I think one of the things that I heard over and over again during the, um, during the forum this past week was, um, you know, the, the, the making our lives better here, um, mm -hmm. kind of keeping it, keeping it safe, um, the quality of life. Um, and we can't do those things when we're, adding to the traffic congestion or making it difficult for people to be able to afford the cost of living or leaving them out on the street. That's right. That's yeah. right. Or, yeah. Or, yes. Yeah, for that matter. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure if you have an example, but can you give me a, a, a recent example of when you heard feedback from a constituent, a potential constituent and were able to incorporate that into your policy opinions, your policy ideas? Yeah, so... Whether it's about housing or, say, water or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many. And, and I feel like since we're on the housing thing, I might as well use a housing store. I mean, there's a couple of things in regards to housing. I'll share one short one and then uh, go into another one. But, um, you know, housing is the main part of my platform. And as I was building my, my message that I would share with folks, I slowly started incorporating some statistics about how many renters are in Monterey and the fact that every day I talk to um, renters about how in the last six months they've received a rent increase of three, four, potentially $500. This mm -hmm. wasn't something that I shared at the beginning of the campaign, but it was through going out knocking on doors almost every single day and literally having conversations with these folks and hearing their stories that I felt it was important to let the rest of the community know, mainly homeowners, um, that the people that are the most vulnerable in our community um, are finding it increasingly unaffordable. These are folks that are residents just like you and I and that can't afford to live here. Um, and spe to speak um, more specifically about um, a story, um, a friend now, Jason Asmus, he, um, he was renting a small, a very small unit and his daughter's bedroom, he's a single father, his daughter's bedroom was part of the kitchen with a curtain over it to kind of keep separation. Wow. And last year he applied for the city of Monterey's home uh, affordable home buying program. 
and he got accepted into the program. He was able to buy a home um, and moved in on in, in the first of August um, for one hundred eighty-eight thousand mm. um, dollars, which is a great deal. And now he's paying less in home ownership than he was in rent, um, with a lot more square footage wow. too. So, um, and the amazing part of his story is that because he was he was able to benefit from local community services. Um, he now wants to give back, and so he's working with me on developing a. Um, we we're playing with the name still, but it's um, we, right now we're calling it Monterey Peninsula Yimbi, which it, or, or in other words, yes, in my backyard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the goal there is to use people that want to focus on um, advocating for housing rights um, on the peninsula. So. That's the community activist arm of the efforts that we're trying to do in regards to affordable housing on the peninsula. I dig that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you've covered more than I could have thought to have asked. <laughs> so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, if there's anything you'd like to leave off with, what, 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 what are your thoughts right yeah. now? At this point in the election, you've got one month left. I mean, what's going through your head? What What I would say first is that I had um, my most em emotional, toughest week last week. It had a very I had some pretty low lows, and I had some really high highs, and so it was um, very turbulent. And that's the experience of running a campaign, um, especially being the candidate. It's a It's a quite a unique experience, um, but you know, I'm I in a lot of ways I'm really at peace with uh, where things are. I mean, I'm not going to lay off the pedal. I'm going to be pushing it all the way till the end. Um, but I, I really feel good about um, about what I set out to do when I, when I decided to step forward and run. And I have conversations with people um, quite frequently. Usually at events, people will come up to me and, and give me appreciation for stepping forward and, and taking that, that bold step. And um, I mean, I, I have 56 year olds coming up to me telling me that they've never voted in their life and that <laughs> they're going to vote this November. That's um, it's little things like that. That is the reason why I ran. And so regardless of the results of the election, um, I, I feel like the, the goal has been achieved. Um, but recognizing who my audience is, I would just I would just ask that um, maybe there be some some recognition for the ones that are able and willing. I, I, I talked to some students at Miss and. You know, there's some really important races going on from some of the states that where they come from. Mm -hmm. um, so recognizing that they probably are playing a very important role in trying to help that. Uh, but those that maybe aren't um, as focused on what's happening back at home uh, and you have the opportunity to re-register to vote, um, I, I would encourage you to vote um, in every election. Um, but you have an opportunity to, to make a difference here um, where you're living right now. Um, and so, you know, I, I just encourage you to vote and ask for, ask for your awesome. support. <laughs> yeah. Vote.org I think is the place right. to go. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Thank you for being so real. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Another big thanks to Tyler Williamson for taking the time to sit down with me and answer some questions about policy. You're going to hear more of these conversations from Bill McCrone, Maddox Haberdasher, and Ed Smith coming up soon. Thanks to Angelo Gonzalez for bringing this idea to me and allowing me to collaborate with him. I look forward to what we produce. If you like what you've heard, please follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor. 
and look us up on Facebook, like and follow our page, Miss Radio. Can't wait to bring you even more content on this affordable housing and homelessness issue along with a lot of other policy issues in the future. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back soon.